Let's start this morning by uh, filling in the first blank on your outline. By the way, if you're a guest with us this morning, welcome. We're glad that you're here. In your bulletin, you're going to see a fill-in-the-blank sermon outline. Uh, that's for you. You can uh, track with us, take some notes, get down some key concepts. So we're going to start this morning by filling in the first blank, and it's this. Biblical leadership is making disciples. Biblical leadership is making disciples. Now, um, now we've done that, I want to do a little bit of an interactive time. Um, so you have permission, official permission, to speak in church here for the next few moments. All right, I'm going to start a phrase, and you are going to finish it. My hope is built on nothing less than... Yeah, that's pretty good. All right, let's get a little bit trickier now. Your hope is built on nothing less than... Yeah, that was not a trick question. All right, let's one more. Our hope is built on nothing less than. I agree. I agree. Our hope doesn't come from what we can accomplish. My hope doesn't come from what I can accomplish. Our, our hope doesn't come from what we're comfortable with. My hope doesn't come from what I'm comfortable with. Our hope doesn't come from what we know. My hope doesn't come from what I know. And I take a lot of comfort in that because there's a lot that I don't know. Okay? This is good news because our hope isn't found in something so fragile as our abilities. Our hope isn't found in something so fragile as our understanding. Our hope isn't found in something so fragile as what's normal. Our hope is found in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness that is unshakable, that is immutable, that is eternal, that is holy, that is forever. Our hope is found in nothing less than that. Anybody agree with that? Amen. I'm convinced by some of you. This is good news. This is good news. My passion will always be in helping people find their hope in Jesus' blood and in the righteousness that comes from it. Now, you know, that's a pretty good hymn, isn't it? Raise your hand if you think it's a good hymn. Okay. I think it's a pretty good hymn, too. I love the words in it. You know what that hymn's about? It's about a disciple who has learned to trust in God. Listen to some of the words. I'm not going to sing them. I'm going to read them. Okay? Uh, when darkness seems to hide His face, I rest on His unchanging grace. When the circumstances of life have conspired so that it's hard and difficult and I don't see a whole bunch of light in the world, what does this person do? They rest on His grace. What kind of grace is it? Unchanging grace. This is good news, right? Um, in every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. There's going to be difficult seasons in life. There are going to be storms that disrupt what we understand, what we know, the normal that our lives are, the comfortable. There are going to be storms that disrupt our abilities. But guess what? Our anchor holds within the veil. Within the realm that God exists, our anchor will hold there. This is good news. Our hope is built on nothing less than this. When all around my soul gives way, 
He then is all my hope and stay. This is the song of someone who has been discipled well and is capable of withstanding all of the storms and situations and seasons in life that life is going to throw at it. Not because they're capable, but because they know that God is capable. This is a song about a disciple who is matured in their faith to the point where they can make a disciple. This is a song about a disciple who can be a disciple maker. And that's the goal. right? We want to make disciples who can then go and make disciples, not because they're awesome and their own, not because they're gifted speakers or because they can remember lots of Bible passages, but because they know where their hope is found. Where is their hope found, by the way? Jesus' blood and righteousness. That's the goal. We want to make disciples who know where their hope is found. How do we do that? How do we do that? Hebrews chapter 10, we'll start in verse 23. The writer of the book of Hebrews says this. He says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. How do we make disciples who are strong in their faith? How do we make disciples who know where their hope is found? How do we make disciples who can then go and make disciples? I propose to you that Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25, hold some clues that can help us as we answer. You know, there are a million things that we should really say about making disciples and this idea of discipleship, but we're going to start today by picking up where we left off last week. And last week we said that, uh, that, that, we said that biblical leadership is first and foremost relying on Holy Spirit. Right? If, there's a, if there's a number one thing that defines biblical leadership, it's this, relying on Holy Spirit, relying on a power greater than our own abilities. Because no matter what, each of us at some point in our lives is going to find a situation that is greater than our abilities. Okay, And that's an uncomfortable moment. That's those moments that make you feel small. But when we rely on Holy Spirit, our anchor holds within that veil. Last week we talked about relying on Holy Spirit. And specifically we talked about three practical ways to begin relying on Holy Spirit in your life right now. All right, and, and we said that um, relying on Holy Spirit, uh, if you want to start doing that, I've got some ideas. And, and then I said, you know, I, I realize that these are pretty basic things, right? But even professional basketball players still practice dribbling and shooting layups, okay? So if you want to start relying on Holy Spirit in your life right now, read your Bible. Pray. And interact with other Christians because those are gifts that God has given us so that we can be more reliant on His Holy Spirit. Now those are great things to do. They really are. They're great things to do, but they in and of themselves are no guarantee of an increased reliance on Holy Spirit. Bummer. 
I want you to think about a professional athlete with me for just a minute. That same guy who practices dribbling and shooting layups. I want you to think about him for a second. I read an article recently that described the training regiment of one world-class basketball player. And the program was designed to maximize his strength, his endurance, and reduce the risk of injury. And so here's what it was. He had three workouts per day. Three a day. I'm pretty pleased when I get three a week. You can laugh. That's okay. okay. He gets three workouts a day, two different stretching sessions, a daily oxygen chamber treatment, whatever that means, a precise diet, and two different massages each day. This is his training regimen. Okay? That's the life of one particular world-class basketball player. He spends almost all of his time making sure that his body is prepared to compete at the highest level. And you know, the same is true for a lot of professional athletes, maybe not to the extreme of this one, but they spend a lot of their time making sure their bodies are prepared to compete at the highest level. But even with all of that attention, even with all of that preparation, they still get injured sometimes. So much of their time is devoted to making sure I don't get injured, I don't get injured, I don't get injured. And what happens? They still get injured. Why am I bringing this up? Because I want you all to leave here feeling hopeless and downcast. Let's close with a word of prayer. No. I'm bringing it up because sometimes we have this idea that if I'm a good Christian, my life's going to be easy. I won't lose my job. I won't, I won't have arguments with my wife. My, my children won't misbehave. We're not going to struggle with money. Intimacy will never be a problem. And when we do struggle with those things, we end up saying, well, wait a minute. Hold on. What's happening? I read my Bible. Why am I having problems with my job? I pray. Why are my kids misbehaving? I go to Sunday school and a small group. What's going on? For the pro athlete, the daily regiment doesn't guarantee that there won't be an injury. It does minimize the effects of that injury, though. It does mean that the injury might not keep him down as long as it would if he hadn't trained and prepared for this. In the same way, relying on Holy Spirit doesn't mean that life isn't going to knock you down. It does mean that whatever knocks you down doesn't have to keep you down. It does mean that whatever life throws at you doesn't have to keep you down because you have the same power that raised Jesus from the grave at work within you. And if Holy Spirit can raise Jesus from death, He can raise you up too. Maybe not out of your trials or your pain or your circumstances. He doesn't always do that. Holy Spirit doesn't always raise you out of the pain that you're experiencing in your life, but Holy Spirit can definitely raise you up high enough so that you can see God in your pain and trust that God is leading you through your pain. And as you walk with God, as you walk with God, you'll get better at trusting God. That's a really simple principle. It's just this idea of practice. As you walk with God, you'll get better at trusting God. We could say that sentence a hundred different ways. As you ride a bike, you'll get better at riding a bike. As you play euchre, you will get better at playing euchre. Unless you play with 
Roger Robinson, then you will never get better because he will beat you and he will feel no remorse. But anyway, as you walk with God, you will get better at trusting God. What's it say in Hebrews? It says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. In other words, the more you walk with God, the better you're going to get at trusting God. Dallas Willard's a, a famous theologian, and here's what he has to say about this. He says, only constant students of Jesus will be given adequate power to fulfill their calling to be God's person for their time and their place in the world. They're the only ones that will develop the character which makes it safe to have such power. I love that last line. They're the only ones that will develop the character which makes it safe to have such power. Why is this important for a sermon on making disciples? Why is this important? For a very simple reason. We must be transformed before we can be transformational. We must be transformed before we can be transformational. Let me say it another way. you got to see the light before you can show someone the light. Right? Uh, let me say it another way. Maybe we can, we can have a little bit of fun with this. How many of you would go to a mechanic who's always having car trouble? No? How many of you would go to an eye doctor who can't see? Too soon? <laughs> How many of you would hire a life coach that keeps getting meeting times mixed up? How many of you would hire a tutor that has the same grades as you? How many of you would hire a fitness instructor who's in worse shape than you? Of course you wouldn't. I'm perfectly capable of having car trouble on my own. Perfectly capable of missing appointments on my own. Perfectly capable of not being a better follower of Jesus all on my own. We have to be transformed before we can be transformational. We have to see the light before we can show someone the light. And if we try to transform others without transforming ourselves, Jesus has some pretty harsh words. Let me show you what he has to say. Jesus said to the crowd and his disciples, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example. Don't follow their example, for they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands, and they never lift a finger to ease the burden. Raise your hand if you want somebody to say that about you. Are you guys listening, or you just disagree? Yeah, nobody wants to have somebody say that about them. Let me paraphrase it a little bit in regard to what the religious leaders, um, and to what Jesus had to say about the religious leaders. He said, do as they say, not as they do. Anybody, anybody ever heard that one before? Do as I say, not as I do. Pretty effective teaching model, isn't it? We can't tell people to rely on Holy Spirit and be changed if we aren't relying on Holy Spirit and being changed. Here's another thing. Um, that's a common attitude that churches have, and it needs to be corrected. Um, and I, I'm in the process of repenting of this in my own life, okay? Just full transparency there. 
Churches love to talk about making disciples. Right? We, we love to talk about making disciples because we know it's important. This is the last thing Jesus said. He said, go and make disciples. And we're like, okay, we better do that. And then we talk about it and we don't actually do that. Right? I'm working on repenting of that in my own life. All right? um, and instead of disciples, instead of disciples, what we end up making a lot of the time is converts. We leave people in a place of spiritual infancy and we say, have a great life in Christ. See in heaven. So let me illustrate it. Pretty much everybody I know has had a baby in the last year. Like pretty much everybody I know. So let me ask you this. How many of you, after nine months of pregnancy and a few days in the hospital, would say, baby, I'm really glad you're born. Hope you have a great life. Nobody? You guys are just not very interactive today. Bless your little hearts. Okay? A convert is a newborn in their faith. Now, you may have put in some time to convince them that Jesus is the Christ. You may have put in some time to share with them the good news of the gospel, that there's forgiveness of sins in Jesus' blood. You may have convinced them that their hope is found in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. But that's the beginning of a new life, not simply the end of an old one. So I want to propose to you that as we lead people to Christ, as we write the final chapter in their old life, let's walk with them as we begin to write the first chapter in their new life. A convert knows who Jesus is, but doesn't know all of the ways that the holiness of God affects them on a daily basis. A disciple, by contrast, is one whose deepest attitudes and dispositions are those of Jesus. Let me say that again. A disciple is one whose deepest attitudes and dispositions are those of Jesus. Can anybody tell I didn't write that sentence? Right? That's really eloquent and well-worded. Uh, that's written by one of my favorite theologians, Dallas Willard. Okay? Um, how do they get there? How does somebody get to that place? By relying on Holy Spirit. That's why we started with that one last week. Okay? When we see the evidence of the Spirit in our lives and that they're increasing, then we can begin to do the work of discipleship. So I want to take a moment to sum up everything that we've said so far. We've got to be transformed before we can be transformational. We've got to see the light before we can show someone the light. And how do we know that the transformation is happening? When we see the evidence of Holy Spirit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. We see those things and that they are increasing. That's when we know we are ready to be transformational. It's when we know we've seen the light and we're ready to show the light to people in a very intentional way. What's it say in the book of Hebrews, verse 24? Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love. Love and good works. What next? We go about doing the work that Jesus has assigned us. We all know that one of the last things Jesus said was go and make disciples. But here's what he 
really said. He said, I've been given all the authority in heaven and on the earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this. I love this. Be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus is very clear. Our job is to make disciples. How do we do that? Well, we baptize them and we teach them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. Why is it then that so often we talk about reaching the lost? And I, I'm guilty of that too. I, I am passionate about evangelism. I am passionate about seeing people come to faith, but I propose that we change the language that we use. Because there's a big difference between making disciples and reaching the lost. Reaching, reaching implies distance. I'm not close enough to something, so I have to reach. I can't get the sock I drop behind the dryer, so I've got to reach. I'm under my car working, and I have to reach for the socket set because it rolled away just a little bit. I see somebody I know at the grocery store and I can't recall their name and so I have to reach for it. When we have to reach for something, we're not close enough. When we have to reach for something, we're not close enough. I don't want to reach somebody. I don't want to lead somebody to Christ from here. Just guide them by the head over to the baptistry. No. I want to make a disciple. I want to know what's going on in their lives. I want to know about their struggles, their hang-ups, their hurts, the pain that's keeping them from Jesus. And I want to walk with them through that. I want to laugh with them and I want to cry with them. I want to shed tears with them. And I want to hug them with great joy as they experience new life in the Lord. If we have to reach someone, we're not close enough. I want to make a disciple. When we make a disciple, we spend time with that person. We learn their struggles and weaknesses and we help them become more like Jesus. It's impossible to disciple somebody you don't know. It's impossible to disciple somebody you don't know. And it's impossible to disciple somebody quickly. And, and don't worry, this isn't wild conjecture. I'm not stepping off on a, on a theological limb here. I've got biblical proof for you. Ready? Jesus. Jesus was the greatest disciple maker of all time. I dare you to disagree with me. Anybody, anybody think that Jesus was a good disciple maker? Excellent. Your hands do work. Okay. So Jesus spent every day for three years with a group of disciples. How'd it go for him? Pretty good, right? He had 11 that went on to change the world. He, wait a minute. He had 11 that went on to change the world? What happened to the other guy? We call him Judas, and it didn't work so well for him. Disciple-making is a lifelong process, and it's messy, and sometimes it doesn't always work, and sometimes people aren't going to accept 
the things that God wants for them and their lives. It's a time of growing and changing. And it's a time of growing pains and learning to walk with God and learning what it means to be picked up by God when we fall and fail and learning what it means to repent as we don't walk with God and decide to start walking anew. Discipleship is a messy, lifelong process where we learn to walk with God and rely on Holy Spirit. And as we grow, become willing to walk alongside people who are just starting to learn to walk with God. So how do we do it? How do we do it? How do we do discipleship? It's incredibly easy and it's incredibly difficult. The simplicity comes in the saying. The difficulty comes in the execution. How do we do it? Discipleship is inviting somebody to practice faith with you. It's inviting somebody to practice faith with you. What's it say in Hebrews? Verse 25, it says, Let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So early in the sermon, I I talked about a pro athlete, and he had this incredibly strict schedule to maintain his high level of play. And and the most fascinating aspect of the article to me was that this older, wiser superstar wasn't just doing this on his own. He had three rookies that he was guiding through his daily regiment. And he was paying for these rookies to go through this same treatment and physical regimen as him. So he paid for the daily oxygen chamber treatments, whatever that means. And he paid for the daily massages and he paid for the stretching and the trainers at the gym. You know what he was doing? He was discipling them the way that a basketball player would disciple another basketball player. He said to them, this is how my life looks when I focus on basketball. This is how my diet is influenced by basketball. This is how my sleep patterns, exercise routines, and treatments are focused on basketball. And that's what discipleship is. We say this is how my life is changed because I focus on Jesus. This is how I view my job because I focus on Jesus. This is how I view money because I focus on Jesus. This is how I view free time because I focus on Jesus. Discipleship is inviting somebody along as you practice faith. It's inviting somebody to practice faith with you. And that's what it is. That's what discipleship is. Are you ready to disciple somebody? To show them what your life looks like when you focus on Christ? To show them every aspect of your life and how Christ affects it? The only way to do it is to invite somebody to practice faith with you over the course of years. That's biblical leadership. Relying on Holy Spirit and making disciples. As we close today, I want to I wanna just remind you why I'm, why I'm preaching this sermon on biblical leadership. Why I'm reminding you of the importance of relying on Holy Spirit. Why I'm reminding you of the importance of making disciples. We're doing it to inform us all of the responsibilities that we have in different areas of our lives. See, we all 
We all have the ability and responsibility to rely on Holy Spirit. And we all have somebody in our lives that we can make into a disciple of Jesus. We all have that opportunity and that responsibility. And so in a minute, I'm going to pray for you that you would have eyes to see who that person is and that you would have patience and wisdom and boldness and compassion to walk with them over the course of years to show them what Jesus looks like in your life. And the other reason is because after service today, we're going to be having the church elections for new officials uh, in in the church structure. So elders, deacons, trustees, Sunday school superintendents, we're going to be electing those positions after church. And um, between now and then, as you consider potential leaders, as you uh, pray about these potential leaders, as you think about who you should vote for, I want to ask that you only consider these criteria. Do they rely on Holy Spirit? Do they make disciples? Here's what the book of Hebrews has to say. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. The mature disciple knows that God is faithful because life experience has proven so through many storms and gales. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works because the mature disciple knows that they have a responsibility to encourage stronger faith in those around them. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Jesus is closer to coming back than he ever has been. And this is no time to neglect the work he's given us. So I want to pray for the current leaders of this church. I want to pray for the future leaders of this church. And I want to pray for all of you as we contemplate the work that God has for each of us. So would you join me in praying? God, we thank you that we can come to you in prayer, and we thank you for your church. And you could have designed your church to be led any number of ways, but you have called people to do the work of leading your church. So God, I ask for the current leaders of this church and the future leaders of this church, for the ones who will be affirmed today, I pray that they would lead only as those who follow you. I pray that they would lead only as those who follow your Holy Spirit. And I pray that you would give them love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control to make disciples and glorify your holy name. God, for each of us, as we sit here today and as we prepare to go into our different workplaces and school environments, as we go the different places that we all go throughout the week, God, I pray that you would give each of us eyes to see somebody that we wouldn't just reach for Jesus, but that we would make into a disciple. God, I pray that you would give us the fruit of your spirit to do that work. We love you, God. We trust you. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.